0: Welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for the week of December 15th. I'm producer Logan Finney. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News to discuss recent issues facing North Idaho College in Coeur d'Alene. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Oh, thanks for having me, Logan. So big picture, North Idaho College, the local community college in North Idaho, is facing possible accreditation issues. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot. Uh,
1: you know, At first, you would think of this as just an administrative thing. What way- should we care about accreditation well accreditation means a lot of things it means a lot of things directly to students um, if you're a student at north idaho college and your college is all of a sudden not accredited you might not be able to get an opportunity scholarship because the opportunity scholarship is available only to students who are attending an idaho college or university that's accredited so your, your scholarship might go away if you're a North Idaho college student and you're trying to take that associate's degree and transfer it to another school, well, guess what? Another school might not take your credits. If you're a high school student, especially a high school student in the panhandle and you're taking dual credit classes through North Idaho college, well, guess what? Those uh, credits might not transfer to a college. And if if you're an employer in North Idaho accreditation really matters because you would like to hire employees from fully accredited programs. So, you know, there, there are job uh, implications, That uh, there are workforce implications as well. I mean, accreditation is a big deal. And normally, we don't talk about it very much because normally, schools remain accredited. It's pretty uncommon to have a situation like this where a college's accreditation is in jeopardy like this.
0: Sure. And accreditation reviews are fairly common in the education sphere. But this one in particular is unique because this accreditation review is coming about as the result of complaints to the regional accrediting body, which is the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities. They've received complaints from local human rights groups, from a large group of former and retired NIC employees. Um, Can you walk me through the complaint and what concerns that the community has with the college?
1: it seems like the complaints are really more directed at the college's board of trustees or more specifically three members of the college's boards of trustees uh chairman todd banducci and a couple of his allies on the board the the complaints are really more directed at their conduct you know their behavior but uh you know as you say i mean it's taken this rather routine accreditation process, and it's taken it to a whole different level. I mean, you're going to have regional accreditors on campus next month meeting with not only the trustees, but meeting with uh, folks in the campus community to try to get a handle on what's exactly going on here.
0: And. Those trustees you, you mentioned, there's kind of a, a three-person majority on the board who in September voted to fire the college's president, Rick McLennan, uh, without cause. And that was a very contentious meeting. And then after that, there has been a number of administrative posts that are now vacant. Uh, the Coeur Press headline described an exodus at NIC. What, what exactly is going on here? What is it about the board and these trustees that are causing so many issues? You
1: know, I think to call that meeting where uh, Rick McLennan was was fired, to call it contentious isn't giving it its full due. I mean, I I wasn't at the meeting. I watched it on YouTube as I think other people did. Um, So even just watching the video 500 miles away, you could sense the, the tension and the dysfunction.
2: Nobody talked to me about it. I've had conversations with you and I've asked you specifically what we were going to do in executive session, and you didn't explain it to me. I've asked, I, uh, the first I knew about these motions was after, at the close of the regular meeting or the, the last, um, before the break. I am not prepared, quite frankly, to address the very serious issues that we are going to be addressing with regard to not just interim, but, uh, but uh, presidential search and how that search is going to take place. I'm not prepared to do that tonight. And if you insist upon going forward with it, I'm going to object. It's not on the agenda. It's not an uh, an action item. And I am not prepared and was not given warning of it. Well, that's, you know what, Trustee Howard, I'm going to turn that right back on you. Because I am
3: for the record, say that for the third time We did not go into executive session, and once again, you and Trustee Wood voted no to disallow us to go into executive session. Now, had we had the opportunity to go into executive session in either one of the last three meetings, and certainly in today's meeting at 4 o'clock, I bet we'd have had some of these discussions, and we'd had conversation, and we might have developed a plan that could be executed. But because of your obstinance to meet, and Trustee Wood also, you guys chose not to communicate. You chose not to meet. You chose not to have an executive session. You have tried to force conversations outside of executive session that are inappropriate, and and should not occur. And I will not be baited and drawn into that. There's appropriate business to be conducted in executive session. And if you guys won't go into executive session, we cannot conduct the business of the college appropriately. Chair So I will not take the blame
0: for that. We don't let you. It's my turn, behind. Christy. He hasn't How about recognized. we all wait turn? He hasn't recognized. Nor you. Well
2: then, what do you think you're doing?
3: <laughs> Telling you that you're Tr- Mr. Not Chair. Trustee uh, McKenzie.
0: The meeting from this morning at uh, 4 a.m. is this is still the same meeting and it's still been noticed to go into executive session. We only recessed. It is not. So it is still noticed to go into executive session.
2: Well, I, would I object to, to, to an executive session test. and it's not going to happen. For the same reasons that I objected before. I've asked you time and time again to explain to me why we need an executive session so I know what to prepare for, and you have not told me. This secrecy, this lack of communication has got to stop. If we're gonna act as a functional board, it's got to stop. So, so, hold
3: on, hold on. I appreciate that, but the thing, thing that needs to stop is that when things are talked in executive session or in confidence, that they don't get out in the media and get spread around and end up everywhere. See, the problem is there is a lack of trust, and it's a concern because conversations are happening and then we're reading about them. And so, oh, well, it, how much transparency do you want? It feels like again, it's, it's a trap or a setup.
0: I make the motion that we go into executive session and I call for the vote. It's
2: against the legal counsel.
3: It's still the
0: same meeting. At
2: what point are
3: you guys going to quit putting us at risk? It's
0: still the same meeting. It's been Would you, you two
3: please stop for just a moment, please, please.
1: This is the kind of dysfunction. You know, we usually see this on the House floor these days, or we see it in the House Education Committee. But here you have this group of five trustees clearly at odds so you have yeah as i mentioned the the chairman of the board uh ty banducci who has been uh, a rather polarizing figure for quite some time he now has two allies on the board uh the vice chair greg mckenzie and another trustee michael barnes they were the three who voted to fire mclennan and like you say, they didn't really offer cause they didn't really offer explanation it does come the the decision did come uh a couple of weeks after McLennan tried to institute a mask mandate on campus. So, you know, read into that what you will. You have two other trustees who are, you know, been on the board for quite some time Christy Wood and Ken Howard, who opposed firing McLennan, have been very vocal about the direction that Benducci and the other trustees are trying to take.
0: You know, you're,
1: you're now in the process of trying to hire a president, but you're also in the process of having to hire three new vice presidents because they've all
0: left as well. And so it seems like this is kind of the result of a schism amongst the board trustees. Is this accreditation uh, review really about education at the school, or is it really more about local politics?
1: I think it's impossible to separate the politics from the education because I think the politics has really driven us to this point. Uh, you yeah, as I say, the complaints that went to the creditors seem to be more directed at the trustees or the three trustees and, you know, Banducci and his his allies more so than actual accreditation issues or, or accreditation concerns about, you know, what's going on in the classrooms or what's going on in academics. So this definitely feels like politics and it definitely feels like, you know, we, you know, sometimes elections like, you know, college trustees or school board elections. Sometimes they kind of fly under the radar, but these are, you know, they're low key governmental bodies until they're not. And in this case, they're, it's definitely not a low key uh, governmental body up there.
0: Yeah, this year, definitely this, the education races have been uh, ones to watch and we've had you on the Friday broadcast show a number of times to talk about those. Um, a few months ago here on the podcast, I spoke with Madison Hardy, who's a reporter with the Coeur Press up there. Uh, and we talked generally about politics in Kootenai County. And when I was talking to her, one of the races she brought up were these trustee races. Uh, Chairman Banducci and his allies were candidates who were endorsed by the Kootenai County uh, Republican Central Committee, even though nominally the trustee positions are nonpartisan. So it's been a really contentious issue that these... Uh, These local races have started to gain some statewide attention, both from columnists and pundits, as well as the State Board of Education. The board's president and executive director recently wrote a very strongly worded letter to the board of trustees outlining some of these issues. Can you talk about the letter and the concerns they brought up?
1: Yeah, the letter was really kind of startling in its tone and its approach uh, to have the president of the state board A gubernatorial appointee to have the executive director of the state board, you know, which is a body that has wide ranging education policy making authority, to to come into this issue as strongly as they did with this letter was really, was stark and it's really telling. You know, the letter pointed out a lot of the potential consequences of accreditation, uh, the loss of accreditation, like we talked about before, whether you're talking about dual credit, transferable credits opportunity scholarships all of those potential implications to losing accreditation are laid out in that letter but what's also laid out in the letter logan and what i think was really really interesting was you know board president uh, kurt liebig and the executive director matt freeman made it clear that you know while they do support the idea of community colleges being led by locally elected trustees they pointed out that State Board of Education has statutory authority over community colleges. So they're kind of, you know, they're, they're heading off the question of, well, whose jurisdiction is this? The State Board made it very clear that they feel like they have some jurisdiction here. And then it's not just the province of the, the five elected trustees. So that's very interesting. I, I do not recall a situation quite like this where you've had you know, the state board and a, a community colleges board of trustees potentially at odds, like you could see in a situation like this. I mean, this is a state board that, you know, big picture here, the state board has tried to defer to local school boards on pretty much anything pandemic related over the past year, whether we're talking about masks or social distancing or online learning versus in-person learning. The state board has taken a pretty hands-off approach to how 115 school districts and how 115 school boards are dealing with issues like that. For this board to come in this assertively about what's happening at a community college is, is really, really stark, really telling.
0: Yeah, it stood out to me as well how how stern the letter was. It was really, seemed like coming in and saying, hey, quit, quit screwing around or you're really going to mess this up for people.
1: And they didn't, just slip it in an envelope and send it on and, and, you know, let it uh, faster or or let some reporter find it out, find out through a a public records request. They put out a press release saying, we've sent this letter. Here's what we had to say. The letter is attached. I mean, the state board uh, came in strong on this issue and came in very publicly on this issue.
0: Of course, the political implications here are interesting. We are politics reporters, but really the... Ramifications of the school possibly losing accreditation really comes down to the students and the broader community. And we we talked about it a bit earlier in the program, but just for our listeners who might not be familiar, can you walk us again through the Opportunity Scholarship and the Advanced Opportunities Program? What are those programs and how are those dollars used?
1: They're two of the biggest state-funded programs we have going to try to get more high school students to continue their education after high school so advanced opportunities really quickly that's the program that gives high school students basically an allowance they've got 4125 dollars that they can spend any way they want in terms of options that could help them continue their education after high school and the big thing that many students use that money for is to take dual credit classes to take college level classes while they're in high school to try to, to pile up a few college credits before they actually go to college for a kid in a high school in the panhandle to take a dual credit class from North Idaho College makes a lot of sense. Well, it only makes a lot of sense if those NIC credits can actually transfer to another school somewhere down the road. That's a big question now about the the advanced opportunities program at NIC if accreditation is pulled. That opportunity scholarship, that is, it's mostly a need-based scholarship. It's uh, there for Idaho students to to go to a school within the state. But again, you can only use that at an accredited in state school. So here again, that accreditation issue uh, becomes really important and could have a really tangible effect on young adults.
0: For reference for our listeners, I graduated from Sandpoint High School in 2016, um, and I took advantage of the Advanced Opportunities Program between dual credit classes through the University of Idaho and advanced placement classes. I started out as a college freshman with 30 credits under my belt already. It's a really big program that the state has been pushing, especially in recent years.
1: And, and, and you're right, and a pair of programs that legislators have put more and more money into. There's a lot more money into the uh, advanced opportunities program than I think legislators ever expected. You know, They've just been you know plowing more money into this as more students are taking more of these dual credit classes. They've put more money into the opportunity scholarship because they realize that there's an unmet need that there are still students who want to get scholarships, more eligible students than there's money to go around. So these are popular programs around the State House uh, and you know, tens of millions of dollars a year are going into these two programs.
0: So the Northwest Commission on Colleges and Universities is visiting the NIC campus to review accreditation in January. Uh, But this isn't the only news that's happened recently in the community college realm in Idaho, Uh, down here in the Treasure Valley. The College of Western Idaho has also selected a new president. Can you tell us about that?
1: College of Western Idaho has been going through a presidential search process, which has been a lot more low key than I think anything you might see coming out of North Idaho College in the weeks and months to come. The CWI search came to a head on Thursday. Uh, CWI announced a new president and it's a familiar name in higher education circles, Gordon Jones, he comes to CWI from Boise State University, where he'd been the dean of the College of Innovation and Design. That was a new program. He was a high-profile hire back when Bob Custer was president at Boise State. Uh, Gordon Jones came from Harvard to come to Boise State to launch this uh, College of Innovation and Design. So, you now a, a pretty prominent name in higher education circles, and really a pretty impressive list of finalists uh, CWI CWI attracted for this opening, for this president's opening. You had the interim president at CWI was a finalist. You had administrators from College of Southern Idaho and Treasure Valley Community College. The The Treasure Valley Community College administrator, Abby Lee, is also a member of the state senate. So a pretty uh, like I said, a pretty impressive field of finalists. Uh, Gordon Jones emerging as the uh, as the hire uh, at CWA. And I just have to wonder, we're just at the start of the NIC search process for a new president. And you, you just have to wonder, with all the turmoil, with all of the dysfunction on that board, it's going to be a challenge, you would have to think, or NIC to come up with It'll really interesting to see what sort of field of finalists or what sort of field of applicants NIC can attract. It's, uh, you know, if you're a would-be college president, you're looking at a situation where you're coming in, maybe accreditation issues, certainly a divided board of trustees, certainly uh, a need to hire underneath and, and get some vice presidents positions filled. I mean, that next president is gonna have a lot of challenges ahead. And I have to wonder are some qualified candidates going to look at all of these factors and say, well, no, I'm, I'm good where I'm at, where I am. I'm not interested. I'll I'll stay, stay put.
0: Yeah. Contrast the CWI process with even just NIC hiring an interim president. A number of candidates said they didn't even get interviewed by the board before uh, the college's um, wrestling coach was appointed as the interim president.
1: Right. It's uh... And you have to wonder, you know, does that also have a chilling effect on potential applicants for the permanent position? Do they look at the process and read up about what's been happening uh, at NIC the past few weeks and months and say, yeah, no, that's that's not a situation I want to walk into. We'll see. We'll see what they come up with. And I may be dead wrong and we may be talking in a few months about, you know, NIC getting this uh, you know, remarkable field of candidates for the position and, and getting this you know, really, you know, eminently qualified new president. We don't know. But, you know, look at this, the situation right now and it doesn't seem conducive to, to a smooth hiring process.
0: And that's really what this accreditation process comes down to, is making sure that the oversight of the college is ethical and everything is above board and things are running how they're supposed to.
1: Accreditors serve this function of of oversight of colleges uh, oversight not only of the college administrators but in this case uh, the board of trustees
0: and shifting gears again here a bit kevin you're also writing this week about a surge in out-of-state enrollment in idaho's universities will you tell me about those stories you're working on
1: right so i've been writing about these numbers for uh, for a while now uh, including the fall numbers what we saw in the big picture we saw the colleges and universities Clawback most of the enrollment losses that they saw last fall, I mean, colleges and universities all over the country saw big enrollment decreases, some really big enrollment decreases as a result of the pandemic, all stands to reason, students deciding to stay home, maybe take a a gap year, you know, opt out of college for whatever reason. This fall, the colleges in, in Idaho saw most of those numbers rebound, but a higher percentage of those students are coming from out of state. I mean, out of state students are accounting for more of this enrollment rebound, proportionally speaking. I mean, you still have the majority of students at state schools are from in, from within the state, but some of the trends are really changing. I mean, Boise State, for example, the first year students this year, a majority came from out of, out of state. That's never happened in Boise State's nearly 100 year history. So something is changing. And what I'm trying to explore in these stories on uh, today and on Thursday, is whether this is a one-off, whether it's really the result of the pandemic, or whether it's part of a bigger trend. And my sense is it's part of a bigger trend. There, there's a lot going on here between the colleges and universities really aggressively recruiting out-of-state students to out-of-state students looking at the price point and saying, you know, I can actually get my education more cheaply in Idaho, paying my out-of-state tuition than if I enroll in-state in California or
0: Washington or Oregon.
1: Yeah, so you have a lot of things going on that really are independent of the pandemic.
0: Education, always a fascinating topic in Idaho.
1: That's for sure. And I hope people check out our stories this week on the higher education enrollment trends. And maybe we'll uh, talk again about NIC
0: somewhere down the road. Looking forward to it. Kevin Richard with Idaho Education News, thanks for your time today.
1: Thanks, Logan, good to be here.
2: Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.